What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Wide Awake Podcast. Today, I have a slightly different episode. As you can see, the setup is a little bit different to how it normally is. And I'm on a call with a man in America. (laughs) Very different to what I usually do. But um, let me just give you a little quick introduction. So today, my guest is Edwin from the YouTube channel, Edwin's Generation. I found out about him through his series of videos about DeAnfoot and their many controversies. So today we're gonna to be discussing Danfoot and kind of all of the things that have gone on over the years. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's it's a, it's a pleasure. I mean, you, you're a very talented podcaster and it's cool to be talking to someone from South Africa that you have a mainly South African audience, right? Yeah, so it was mainly South African until I covered a few, well, the, the podcast with Toki about Dianfoot. And for some reason that really went overseas. It was like no one from South Africa watched that. <laughs> well, it, that's the ironic part. It's so ironic that you covered a South African group and got a bigger non-South African audience. But, you know, out of all the years that I cover, I mean, I, I kind of mostly covered it for like a year and a half, Dianfoot, but I talked to so many people and a lot of people from South Africa and most people would tell me that they don't really listen to Antwerp or they don't really care for them over there. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty strange because they are probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest South African music groups, but very few people know about them or kind of listen to their music in South Africa. It's just, it's, it's, it's very strange. It's funny, I only really started getting into uh, knowing about them when I started covering the stories. I mean, they've been around for years, but I didn't really know anything about them. Yeah, because um, I also noticed like they never do any concerts or tours at all in South Africa, like ever. I've never seen a Dion Foot tour in, in South Africa. I'm sure there has been, but I've never heard of a concert. Well, and it's ironic because, you know, they've done videos where they're like, South Africans known for three things, uh, Nelson Mandela, uh, District 9, and Dion <laughs> It's like, well... I mean, maybe the other two, but <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we're we're known for those things, but I think we distance ourselves from some of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, for those that don't know, I'm just going to give a quick introduction to Dianfoot and and who they are. Um, so Dianfoot is a South African alternative hip hop group formed in Cape Town in 2008. The group was formed by Watkin Jones, also known as Ninja, and Anri Dutoy, also known as Yolandi Fisser. Their image revolves around the South African counterculture movement known as ZEF and has incorporated work by other artists associated with the movement. When did you, I mean, when did you find out about Dianne Foots? Um, well, also I should introduce my dog. She already made an appearance, so sorry. She likes the attention sometimes, but uh, her name is Poochies. <laughs> but I actually discovered the word from an email that I got through someone, you know, every now and then people will suggest for me to cover certain stories. And um, what attracted me about the story was the whole like cease and desist, you know, because there's a lot of stories, unfortunately, that uh, where people go through like, like, I guess, abuse stories from other artists. Right. And and it like the, the, the story from Johnny was interesting to me because they like tried to silence her and she was like, I don't want to say she was a nobody, but she didn't really have like any fans or audience. You know, she hadn't really done music at the time either. I mean, she had like two songs or something, but like it seemed insignificant as to why they were making a big deal and like trying to kind of brush it under the rug. Right. And so when I 
when um them doing that season desist was actually the catalyst for her to release a song and music video called the question in which she showed a bunch of screenshots of uh watkin you know mr ninja texting her from on whatsapp from years ago and the 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 messages were so perverse and, and outrageous and weird that like that's like that is kind of like what interested me as well like it's like whoa what like you can kind of like poke fun at it but also kind of like cringe because he was like role-playing as her dad and, and wanting her to call him daddy but like you know not in like a like a ooh. i mean i don't know like i don't want to kink shame but there's a plenty to kink shame, kink shame there like i think we can all agree if you see some of those messages and i could even read some of them here but like it, it was just it, it was just so weird like you you could look at that story and you just can't look away, basically. There's just so much to it. So before we get into any of that, can you tell us a little bit about Johnny? Like, who is she and her connection to Dion Foot? How she got connected to them originally? Right. So Johnny was a, a fan of Dion Ford back in when she was like a 20-year-old, you know, many years ago. And... um as you said, the Antwerp are, are kind of like counterculture, right? So they attract a lot of people that are kind of rebellious and stuff. And Johnny was definitely in that group and she was a big fan of them. And w this is when she was like 19 through through 20 when eventually they reached out to her. Like uh, Ninja and Yolandi both talked to her and they were kind of like, oh yeah, Ninja really likes you. That's what like Yolandi like emailed her. Like she's got all these like screenshots of them like, you know, flooding her with like all this like hey we really want to meet you we fly out to south africa and this is like the peak of the antwerp because i remember when i was like younger too i remember like their ninja ay, 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 you know like they were pretty viral so um to her she was just flattered she was like a, like a fan and they actually ended up flying her over to south africa from from uh from australia and he was 39 and she was 20 when that happened <laughs> Um, and, um, he ended up taking her like to like a little jungle or do you know what that place is called in South Africa? It's like... The wilderness. Yeah. The wilderness. Is it like a known place? Yeah. So wilderness is about six. If, if I didn't, I wasn't too sure if they were talking about the wilderness as in like the forest or the wilderness as the place. So the place wilderness is about six hours outside of Cape town. It sounded like, well, when she explained it, it, she said that there was like no cell phone reception and it was just like, kind of like, you know, and there's a lot of culture shock too when you're from like an enti uh, entirely different country. She'd never flown out of the country before. So it's like, you're flying somewhere new and then you're just immediately like taken to like the wilderness and you know, she was seeing elephants and this is like super crazy to her, right? And it was just her and him. And then all of a sudden, he's offering her drugs and you know he's hallucinating and like speaking in tongues and all this and you know that's when like he got a little too forward and all this and, and it's a it's a really intense story because there's also like elements of like witchcraft and so when i was like trying to translate into that video i have to like figure out a way so people don't dismiss it because that that kind of thing you know whether you believe in it or not like it's undeniable that deantwer does use, use a lot of that imagery and like in their music lyrics and like in their videos and stuff. Yeah, no, 100%. And I mean, so how I heard it, it played out. So she was obviously a fan of them. And um, what I don't understand is why they, because they have many fans. And like you say, she only produced like one or two songs. What was it about her that 
they thought was um, worth bringing her down to Cape Town for? Like, why did they choose her? Well, it's also important to know that she she didn't express any interest in music. She wasn't a musician at the time either or anything like that. So she was actually interested in witchcraft, though. Like she did make like she had a Tumblr that, you know, had like, you know, witch, witch, this and that. So like they called her like little witchy girl and all that stuff. And he wanted to kind of collect witches like she wasn't the only girl that he was talking to, too. And I don't know. It's 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 kind of strange. I think there was an element that he wanted to meet like three specific types of witch girls and it sounds weird but this is like what you know the text like literally display that is pretty crazy i mean the the way i see it is like ninja and yulandi dianfoot are so they're so particular about their image the zef culture uh zef means like you're poor but you're sexy it's it they're kind of like taking it's it's kind of like and i'm going to say this it's going to sound rude but like white trash um, and making it cool. That's like the, that's what Zef is really. Uh, that's what I got from the definition online. And um, I'm not saying that is Jani, but what I'm saying is that they're collecting people that they think are kind of outside of the box or very different. Um, like when they met Toki um, and Macy, they went to a very rural area and that's where they, you know, that's where they were from. So with, with, with Ninja and Yolandi, I feel like they wanted to create a group of people that are extremely alternative to kind of pump up their own image. And something that, um, you know, you, you, you said that, you don't like, I feel like earlier I used the word facade and just now you said that, you know, you don't want to in, insult like when you're talking about like you know, white trash. And I actually don't think that's like an insult to them because you have to keep in mind, like with the Antwerp, it's all like an election, like they're electing, they're choosing to be this because, you know, you look at the Antwerp before the Antwerp and they were completely different. Like they they literally stylized themselves after Roger Balance, like his photography. They're like, we want that. Like they were normal, like uh, middle class or upper class, whatever. Like they weren't they were never poor. Like they weren't. That's not them, you know, so they chose to be how they are like they want to be gang- they want to look gangsta they don't live they don't live in anywhere dangerous like they would like you to think yeah no, exactly i mean i read that ninja grew up in like a middle class home in in johannesburg in in south africa um and i mean it, when it when it comes to johnny you've spoken to her before right yes yes what is she like um and like what 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 were the majority of your conversations about um well to be honest like the first time i talked to her she like told me like the whole story of, of her flying over it was really intense like she just essentially told me that how how switched up he was and like he like made rules for her like you know you know don't talk to me you know unless i allow it kind of thing i don't know it was very strange um the way like like he she presented him um but she's very straightforward like she, she'll tell things how it is like she'll she won't sugarcoat anything and she's very wary of, of people that will kind of like try to use her the wrong way like you can tell this 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 has really affected her like big time but like she's got such a strong hustle that i really admire like the way she's just been you know tuning everything out and just working on herself working on music because um, yeah i actually did an interview with her but like you know she ended up saying that like she was just like in 
like a, an angry place and she didn't want that to be out in the universe and i totally respect that because you know a, a lot a lot of people are also kind of calling her a cloud chaser and like she she also doesn't want to be represented by her she, she's she's been doing good without without like any sort of the antwoord image or whatever you know she's killing it yeah i mean exactly i've been i've been looking at her stuff and she's constantly on the go and uh i see she's since then she's made a lot of music i mean do you think she why do you think she got into music? Do you think it was inspired by Dion Foot? I don't I wouldn't say she's inspired by Dion Foot. I think she's just like a very creative soul and like she's just it's like it's like a I think I think for her it's definitely like an like an escape like somewhere she she wants to put her soul into, you know, like you can tell that she's digging from inside her and just putting all her grittiness and dirtiness. She's like that's what she wants out there. And I I think it's good she like stands out and she's like yeah, she's not afraid to get dirty. It's like, wow, damn. <laughs> you just tell. Sometimes I'm like, whoa, damn, Johnny. I mean, that's a good track, but whoo, all right. <laughs> so, I mean, um, when it comes to the incident that happened in South Africa on her trip here, um, can you tell me what exactly were the allegations? How, how did she come out with the allegations that she made and, and what were they? So... You know, it's it's allegations, especially nowadays. Like even now, more so than like when she actually did it. Uh, it's 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 a heavy thing to place a specific word, and you know she never used the, the R word, right? She just kind of said that that's she described the the assault, which was essentially um, that he took her to the wilderness, and um, I forgot if he was doing shrooms or both were doing shrooms, but or something. I, I think. They both were. They both were? Yeah, so... From what I could tell, yeah. Yeah, so they were both doing shrooms, and, and he started speaking in tongues, and, like, essentially, like, you know, they were, you know, having sex, and essentially, he like, he kind of, like, came inside her without, like, letting her know, and, like, he wanted to do it, and then he, like, just started speaking in, like, a, like a baby voice and stuff, and it's just such a weird, bizarre, like, creepy story. Um, but, like, you know, it, it's weird to discern what you know, what, what to call something. And, um, it, it's just the way that like, um, he kind of like takes advantage of her and mistreats her. And then afterwards just discards her. Like she was just trash and just like essentially brought her over just for that experience or something. Like he could just, he just thinks it's okay to like fly over a woman just for weird experience and freak her out. It seems like he gets off on freaking people out. Essentially. That seems to be a pattern. And I mean, after that trip, did she have any contact with Dianne Foot? Yeah, um, and I think she had a lot of, like, a lot of problems, like, kind of processing, like, everything that had happened. And he emailed her, like, because uh, he was going to do a tour in Australia. And he's like, and, and she was kind of hoping that, you know, maybe it would be brought up or, you know, they would apologize or something. But essentially, they just, they just kind of wanted, like, um, like a, a personal assistant that they were familiar with. And they just treated her like crap back then too. And that was like, you know, that was kind of like the last thing for her, like to make her, make her realize that they don't really care. They never really cared about her. Yeah. And I, th I think it's, it's quite tricky, especially because she was so young and she was a fan of them. So there's this massive like power dynamic between the two. It's not just as if they're two friends hanging out. It's a massive celebrity on a, 
international scale and a girl that's really looks up to you. So I could imagine how that really kind of messed with her brain for yeah. for a long time. Right. Um, and when it, when it comes to uh, the the song, she made a w- did she come out with the allegations through the question through the dis- the the song? I believe it was actually the cease and desist, like them trying to can- like uh, silence her that encouraged her to make the music video. And then they were actually able to take the song down from Spotify and like other platforms. And I mean, has she taken any legal action against them? For her to take any legal action would be way too difficult. I mean, she did go to to the police, you know, and like I, there, it's it was pretty much a useless in like like what what you know like there was no uh, they they couldn't help her essentially. And I also want to point out that like you know it, it's always easy to pick apart the people that uh, that come out with these things, right? But, like, also keep in mind, like, there is literally no honesty with Ninja. Like, when he first responded to Johnny, um, he literally said, oh, yeah, yeah, I did fly her out, but I was like, this is not what I ordered off the menu. Like, he's, like, admitting that he flew her out, like, to, like, you know, kind of, like, play, I guess, play around with her. And he's, like, disappointed. And, like, the, the way he... he talks about it It, it's so strange like he corroborate they corroborate so much of what she said and the whole thing with her story was just essentially this the streisand effect it was the reason why i was able to make so many videos because they kept making it bigger by responding over and over and over you know like first they want to cease and desist they want her to stop talking but yet they want to keep talking about it you know and so if there's any clout to be given to her it's all them doing it because she barely talked throughout the entire like kind of mess. Yeah, I mean, I, that's kind of what I saw as well as every time they opened up. That it's something that I wanted to talk about uh, is the fact that every time they responded, they made things ten times worse. Yeah, <laughs> not just with with that situation, but with every situation. It seemed it's like every time they said something it would just blow up in their face so much. And I feel like that's why they've gone so quiet over the recent years, because they just realized that we're just making it harder for ourselves. Yeah, it took a while, but finally they're a little more quiet. (laughs) There was a phone call between Yulandi and Benjay Crossman, who was their ex-cameraman and videographer. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about the phone call between the two of them? What, what, What was it about? Right, so Benji had done these like Instagram posts, and in one of the Instagram posts, he basically just captioned it like, "John, ha- um, have Ninja and Yolandi call me." So, with John is their manager, and essentially that's what ended up happening. Yolandi called Benji, which he he wanted to talk to Ninja, but you know she's like she's not here, and he kind of was trying to expose some of the things because he was a videographer for the group for many years. And he wanted to kind of like, you know, get them on the record to respond to like the allegations because they were always walking around it. If you notice, every time they respond to Johnny and all that, like they just kind of deflect or insult and degrade to kind of like uh, dismiss what, what she's saying. And he wanted them to go on the record and talk about it. And Yolani just didn't care to. So he was like, really? Like, you, you know, I you know, like I have all this footage and, and you just don't care. And she's like, no, I don't care. So like, I don't know. It, it was interesting to, it was definitely interesting to hear because it, it seemed like they were doing the same thing to him in that phone call. Like, just like, 
who are you anymore? You're so mean to us. Like, it's like they kind of put up this front where like they're just innocent people behind the scenes or something. I don't know. What I got from it was, I mean, so I'll read what this says here. It says, Dianne Foote's former videographer, Ben, confronted Yolandi on a phone call regarding her and Ninja's behavior on social media towards Johnny. Uh, Yolandi says, I was defending my family. Ben also invites them to participate in his documentary and answer questions for it, to which Yolandi declines, but allows him to use the phone call. So he was recording this call, and I think she knew he was recording the call. Um, and because it's obviously something he started doing a while ago. Um, and from what I got on that phone call, he was kind of saying, she she was trying to stay as innocent as possible. She says, what's going on? Like, why is this happening? Yeah. You know, she was kind of, like you say, trying to deflect and put all the blame somewhere else without implicating yeah. herself in anything. Yeah. Yeah, she, she was essentially just trying to um, present herself as as an angel you know like what I, I was doing what i had to do like you know when you think about it that that line like i was defending my family like when you just put that without any context it's like oh well yeah you go girl but it's like she was defending by her family by like insulting johnny and and also she said that johnny attacked six, 16 which johnny never did that you know it's it's, it's it was weird she's just making things up <laughs> or or she just being told things could be a, a thing, I guess, if she's just being told what's happening. To me, it seems like a lot of the time with a lot of these things, Ninja, maybe he wasn't on the phone call, but I feel like he was maybe orchestrating something behind the scenes because he seems to be like the one that is in charge of what goes in and out in terms of information. The puppeteer. The puppeteer. <laughs> So, I mean, there was another incident with, with Andy Butler. Uh, Andy Butler is an American DJ, singer, uh, composer, musician, and producer. Um, can you tell me about the incident that happened between him and Dianne Fort while on tour in Australia? Okay, hold on. Okay, so... I've got, a, I've got a breakdown here. Do you want me to give you the breakdown before you get into it? Uh-huh. Yeah, give me the breakdown. Remind me so, here. Uh, Yolandi was in the toilet, and apparently... Andy Butler came into the toilet and groped her. That's what it said. Touched her in her bum, on her, on her breasts. And she ran out and uh, a kind of, uh, it says over here, the video started with an altercation and Yolandi seemed to be enjoying the chaos. Like there was a big fight happening. Uh, after the fighting stopped, Yolandi started laughing and Ninja told her to be quiet. Um, from that point, Yolandi and Ninja seemed to try and get their stories aligned. Like Ninja was like, shh, be quiet, be quiet. Like, you, this is how it went down kind of thing. Uh, Ninja took charge and did most of the talking and Yolandi seemed to be acting upset because every now and then she can be seen breaking character and start smiling like she was enjoying what was going on. And then they went to go and talk to the tour manager about it. And he was taking it very seriously, but every time he wanted to take action or go, let's do something about this, uh, Ninja was like, no, no, it's okay. We just want him to apologize. We just want him to apologize. And like you, you would think if someone did that to your girlfriend or friend or whatever, you would want to take some sort of action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting too. Um, basically, this video was the first time that any sort of traditional media took like interest, I guess, in all the weird stuff that was going on 
with the Antwerp because I guess you know all the other things that they were being called out for aside from Johnny too like it didn't interest the media like and it was so weird because this is like this is like a band that was created by the internet yet the internet was essentially ignoring it you know but like my videos were getting a lot of hits but like for some reason nobody else was talking about it it was very strange but but uh, this is where people finally started taking note and they were like okay yeah no there's there's video footage you know like Yolanda came out and obviously there's no footage of what happened in the bathroom or whatever but like the the way that everything shifts so so rapidly and like there's obviously tension between the groups and and there's also a video be, um of Andy Butler and you know Hercules and Love Affair like their group talking about how they had already tension with the Antwerp before this incident happened but like when this happened um it is weird that Ninja essentially tells her like, okay, this is what happened. Okay, let, let's get the story straight. And l the craziest part is like the next day, they all kind of openly admitted. They were all laughing about it. They, they all laughed about how, oh yeah, that was crazy what we did with back there. It was like animalistic. Like Ninja literally says it was animalistic. Like how do you describe something like that, right? He, he acts like they're filming like a, like a like geography, like, or what is that? The Geo National Geographic Channel. film. Yeah, National Geographic special or something. That's what he, he's, he's describing it like. And, you know, what is so strange about all this is that the the tour manager of the specific tour, like, he also heard it all. And he was just in, in shock. They were just, like, the next day, like, talking about how they made it all up. And for him, it was, like, a, a an issue of job security. Like, he didn't want to, like you know, work against them because he was afraid that it might like hinder his future jobs while working with other groups and stuff, which is kind of scary if you think about it, like, right? Like people might do sketchy, sketchy things like bands and they can just get away with it because people won't snitch on them because they might lose their jobs. Like what? But we got that phone call and, you know, it's pretty corroborated. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty insane. I mean, why do you think they would make something like that up? For what reason? Um... I would say to justify that whole fight, you know, and to just for the lols, for the trolls. I don't know. I, that would be a really good question for them. So you think after that fight, they instantly just thought of some random excuse? It, it really feels like that. And, you know, when you hear them explain it, because they did end up finally doing a video talking about it, and, and they talk about it so nonchalantly. And, like, they just contradict everything like they don't they don't they still don't have their story straight and do you think there's any truth in the statements they made about what he did i mean you, there's no proof you i think i think it's very possible that they had like a, some sort of scuffle maybe like maybe they had a scuffle in the bathroom but like the way it's exaggerated like like ninja's literally giving her the script like you know it's, it's there's very obvious fabrication there and was there any fallout for Deantfoot after this altercation took place after the video was posted online. Yeah, so eventually they uh, tried to sue BMG and uh, didn't work out for them because they literally cited that that uh, that video, and um, I think I think they also lost out on some tours in America, but they try to blame it on other things. And and also actually like you know the the festivals never outright said that that's what it was. Also, it was more so the media. So it would have been better if like you know people specifically said what it was, but it's just like oh, festivals canceled the N word.
but you know it's very obvious like that's what it was what what is bmg is that their record label yeah bmg is like a, a major record label and so they were trying to keep them as a record label uh but like essentially they were like you you didn't tell us you had all this controversy which sounds really tacky to me because it's like man are people still pretending they don't know who they're hiring like what like social media google them yeah i think it's kind of just like if no one's really talking about in mainstream does it really matter kind of thing yeah exactly exactly it always like people always need like mainstream media to feel the wrath i guess you know otherwise you can look the other Mm -hmm. way it's okay to look the other way and that's kind of, I think, a lot of frustration, you know, with the whole thing that even led Benjay to speak up because he's like, what's going on? You know, he he wants to make sure like, because also Benjay specifically feels a lot of like guilt that he worked with him for like years and, and he just like stood there sort of complicit, you know, and the, so he wants to at the very least kind of show like do, do the most he could, you know, because I don't think. Like he doesn't think, and I I agree that I don't think there's much changing for these kinds of people. Yeah, I think once the money and the power kind of gets to your head, it's uh, you're always gonna do whatever you can to stay in the spotlight um, and keep relevant. Um, I mean, th- this is a, a statement Ninja Ninja made. Ninja has protested the duo's innocence in a Facebook post. He said that Ben Crossman has been on a mission to ruin Dianfort. Ben Crossman has been on a rampage to make us look bad in the media because we fired him years ago for being mentally unstable and malicious towards our family. Ninja says that Ben cleverly edited the video and was the one responsible for attacking Butler while simultaneously filming. <laughs> See, like, I mean, what, what is that even, what, what like... <laughs> It's like I said, they're always attacking. And actually, I remember right after I finished doing like my little series, um, they had their own series called Zef TV. And they actually named one of their episodes. I, I know they didn't name me, but it seemed like it was a, a, a reference. They called one of their episodes uh, Generation Retard. So it's like, you know, my name my name is Edwin's Generation. So <laughs> they're were, they were called like, hate, you hate us because they ain't us or something. Like they were trying to make a reference to the, the movie with... James Franco and Seth Rogen, like when they were had that moment, but like talking about like haters and stuff, and it's like, okay, I mean, I, I, haters. I'm just pointing out what you guys are saying and you know poking some fun and like pointing it out. But yeah, it's like all they can do is just insult, insult, because like w- Benji's been on a rampage. Like what? Like I mean, he might have his moments, but like, bro, you guys, w- w- what is so unjustified that Ben has done? Like really, think about it. You know. Was there any truth to any part of that statement about him doctoring video footage? No, because that's the thing. Like he literally sent me everything, so I I was able to see it. In fact, I like he actually because I met him in person and we did like a little video, and um he gave me a bunch of footage from his hard drive. And I mean most of it is like n- nothing, you know. It's just like you know them them hanging out and whatever. But like I I have the the straightforward from the Andy Butler's incident. Like I have it all raw and it is what it is there, there's nothing doctored um i know that ninja also tried to say that like the the toki video was edited but it's like i, I mean okay there's like clips cut in but like th- the content is the content the words are the words there's no actual rebuttals to what is being presented on the video it's just like oh it was edited funny okay 
So what what are you disagreeing with? He's on a rampage. Yeah, I think they they try to make him and I and I want to try and stay objective as like objective as possible. Uh, because I think that was one of my downfalls in the interview that I did with Toki was that I was probably a bit too one-sided. Um, but I think in in how I see it with Dion Foot, they try to make Ben seem like this extremely disgruntled employee. Um, and like you say, I think especially the the video um, at the, that happened with Annie Butler at the festival. You could see the only time that there was really cuts was when he was told to cut the camera. Yeah. Um, so there was never really any hard cuts. Um, and I mean, I spoke to Toki and with this case, I can corroborate Ben's story in saying that he gave me a very similar story. So mine wasn't doctored or edited in a way to make anything look bad. It was just kind of what was said in the podcast. Nothing was really taken out. Well, and, and to, to just go off that point you said about being objective, like, you know, I feel like it's it's hard to to stay completely objective in a story like this when the way they respond is always so, like, childish and just kind of, like, dismissive. Because I, I would love to hear them actually address things, but they never really do. You know, I mean, and, and here's the thing, like... I also like to try to stay objective, but I mean, I'm gonna make my little quips. I'm gonna, you know, poke a little fun because it's part of the it's part of keeping the the tough subjects lighthearted. You know, when we're talking about heavy stuff, it's like we gotta poke a little fun. And hell, like I I would you know honestly I would be open to talking to Ninja. Like I would if if you wanted to, or even Yolandi, right? Like I would be curious. Like I think it's admirable when people are are open to speaking to. Not 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 that I'm an adversary of <laughs> by any means, right? But like just just be open-minded right because when you think the world's against you it's like okay yeah yeah create your own like you don't realize you're sounding like the conspiracist that you're calling ben j to be like how ironic is that yeah um and i mean i i would also be very open to to talking to them i would love to hear their side of the story and it's something that frustrates me so much about the last podcast that i did about them it was because people kept saying this is a one-sided story they don't want to share their side of the story. That's right. the thing. Um, there's a lot of people out there that want to hear their side of the story, but it's just something that's never going to happen. See, and hey, I'll be very clear. This is opinion, but if they shared their side of the story, it would kill the de Antwerp facade. Because let's remember, they are they are choosing to be Zeph. Okay, they didn't grow up Zeph. They don't know that kind of lifestyle. They, I mean, they know it now because they adopted it and they live it and breathe it. I mean, I don't even technically they don't actually live it and breathe it because they're still they're living in Cape Town. They're not actually living in like the the flats. Is it called right? Yeah, yeah. They're the not. They're, they just go there to like film some stuff and you know pay some money to gangsters and all right, peace out. So do you do you know about that whole the whole incident with with the gangs? Do you know anything about their involvement with the gangs? Um, I know there's a lot of involvements, like, because the Antwoord is, like, me covering this story is, like, the one story that I've covered on my channel that's come with so many people giving me testimonies and telling me stories that obviously never hit the channel because, you know, it's complicated, they don't want to go on record, or it's just, like, hard to fit in the channel and stuff. But, yeah, like, one specific instance, like, people that are, are fans of, of them might remember that, they announced a movie that would come out, I don't know, two years ago? I don't know anymore, right? But obviously never came out. And one of the 
things that they were going to incorporate in the movie was like like animals and um like gangsters and i've literally talked to like the animal trainer and i've talked to gangsters and stuff that they're just being paid scraps and stuff and yeah i even got like some small bit of footage and all that but like you know it's i'm not trying to sabotage anything or anyone yeah so when it comes to the movie um so ninja comes from i read an article the other day and it said like ninja comes from a very suburban he comes from like a white suburban area in johannesburg i don't know if that's true but that's what it said and for some reason he's always had this weird obsession with the gangs um and particularly the numbers gang and if you guys if you look at my channel i don't know if you if you scroll through but i've worked with the numbers gang a lot um one of the most famous members uh turner adams was on my podcast he's been on my i've done a lot of work with him and um i've worked with gangs for a long time and the numbers gang is incredibly scary um <laughs> and it's not something to joke about you know like South Africa has one of the highest murder rates in the world. And 90% of those murders come from a very small portion of the population. Um, and especially in places like the Cape Flats, where uh, Ninja uh, has filmed videos. And Yolandi was even dating one of the gangsters. Um, Anis. When, when Anis, yeah. I mean, Anis was part of the Americans gang. I've worked a lot with the Americans gang. Um, and he was also in, I think, Paulsmore Prison. Uh, the Numbers Gang is like a very old gang. It's been around for a few hundred years. Um, and it originally started to protect mine workers. And I don't know how, but it some, somehow worked its way into the prison system. Um, so he was he was part of the Numbers Gang, the 27s. I think he was a 27 and a 28. Um, and I mean, these are like incredibly scary guys. Anis, the guy that Yolandi dated, was called... Uh, the Killing Machine in a BBC documentary called No Go Zones or, or something like that. So when I heard about this movie, uh, I did a bit of reading about it last night. Um, apparently, they went to some sort of camp or something, and this is where they were learning how to use guns and rifles and you know all sorts of firearms for this gangster movie and. Um, they were using real gangsters and apparently, uh, I don't think this is true, but I'm going to say it. They apparently, they were being given a lot of drugs, um, these gang members, uh, to be on set and to keep them kind of going because a lot of the time these gangsters, they, the way they operate is through money. Like that's what they do. They spend their days making money and a lot of the time they spend their days using drugs. So I could actually imagine it to be true uh, that they would be given a lot of drugs. I also heard there was another incident that after filming, one of the members killed, one of the actors in the movie killed one of the other actors in the movie. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, just sounds unbelievable. <laughs> so I can imagine there's a lot of reasons for why it hasn't come out. Nothing ever comes out. I guess people are, their fans are just used to that. But yeah, you got to wonder like what's actually going on, right? And, and, See, that's the crazy part because most of the fan base is not in South Africa. So, like, they don't they don't realize the reality of what is going on, you know. And I guess Ninja and Yolanda can just get away with it because it's not really that regulated. It just isn't. Yeah, I think that that's exactly it. I think people see 
these things in a music video or on a like a clip and they don't realize that like Anis the guy in that music video is actually a real killer uh he's a real gangster um and I just I found it so crazy that I mean Yolandi was dating him uh apparently he passed away as well I think he 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 was killed in in some sort of altercation as well yeah I heard uh, too. a little while later um but I mean, I do want to talk a little bit about Ben, Ben Crossman. Um, so obviously you have some sort of a relationship with him. You said you've worked with him. Um, I want to know, because he did work for them for quite a while. Um, what do you think after after he was fired, what do you think his intentions were uh, with releasing this evidence, this footage? I think I think he did want them to kind of speak up for what, like take some accountability because that's kind of something they always dodged and avoided, right? Um, because he, you notice, and I, I feel bad because he did get the same kind of attacks that like that were reinforced by Deant for like, oh, he just wants like a, attention, he's deranged, whatever. But you, you'll notice he never ever asked for any like money or anything from anybody. He never off like, and I would even tell him, dude, you should you should sell some of your own paintings because he's super talented. But like he he didn't even want to be seen that way. He didn't want to be like, oh, I don't want people to think that because I expose them that now I'm gonna use this as an opportunity, you know. And that's actually kind of like a downfall because it shouldn't. I don't think that just because you're you're doing something, it should withhold you from your creative outlet or anything like that. But I do think that he genuinely wanted more attention and more spotlight because he carried over a lot of guilt from working with them, and you know, because. He was also mistreated, but like that's not something he really ever cares to like bring to the spotlight. Like he he would rather just like, you know, bring bring the reality of of what happened to Johnny and also like what happened to Toki and, and like because because they have adopted like two other kids and like what you know like I don't know it's strange like if they can mistreat Toki like that like wh who's to say they're not gonna do it to other kids right and like just discard them because. It was really obvious from the beginning the way that they would treat 16 versus, you know, Toki and even Macy. When it comes to Ben, I think the public perception um, is that he is doing this for his own financial gain. But, I mean, I, from what I know, he doesn't have much money at all to his name. So it's obviously doesn't seem to be for his financial gain. I think he also might have some some guilt for kind of involving Macy and uh, Toki in the whole situation because he is the one that that found them. So Benji is the like the stereotype of the starving artist, right? Like he he is he doesn't care for money. He just cares for doing his creative art. And you know when he was living in South Africa, he liked to photograph people and especially unique characters. He befriends literally anybody, right? And he photographed Toki and, you know, they kind of, because Toki really liked, you know, acting and, and doing little weird things when he was a kid and stuff. And um, when Ninja saw this, he was like, I really like this kid. And that's when he like drove over and saw him and he's like, hey, man, you want to be in some more music videos and stuff and or videos. And that's kind of like how he pitched it to him. And you know, Toki, young and naive and like from a small town that's like really torn down and like, Sounds kind of cool. And he also liked that they literally had a pool because of his disease. So he ended up doing that. And, you know, yeah, Ben Benjay does feel like he's kind of like the source and the root of of that specific meetup. And I mean, 
beyond that, whether whether you admit it or not, you know, like Benji did a lot of like art, and he actually probably did help them as far as like creative wise. Like if you if you watch the like Baby's on Fire video, like that mural in the background, that's Benji's work. Like whoa, he, he's a very talented guy. But um, yeah, and I mean, I I think that. Uh, like Benji's like do, does stuff behind the scenes. Like he's not doing this for himself. Like at least that's my perception, you know. Because I I spoke to him recently, and I'll tell you a little bit about that. So after the interview with Toki, um, we eventually got in contact, and something happened, and basically he ended up recording our phone call, and. Um, I like I'm I'm not part of this whole the Unfoot world, you know. I've done one podcast, you are now. so I kind of did it. <laughs> so I didn't like. I'll, I'll I'll tell you how it went down. So he basically threatened me and was like, "I'm recording this phone call," and then I said, "You don't have my permission to use this phone call," and he was like, "I don't." No, I said. You don't have my consent to use this phone call, and he was like, "I don't give a fuck about your consent." So, <laughs> so I was like so blown away. But how I see it is that, you know, I feel like he's so involved himself in this situation, um, and I couldn't quite figure out why. Um, but do you do you think that it's making him sick? his kind of need to bring this all to light. I think he's a loose cannon for his personal justice, right? But um, he'll definitely have his moments. Like, you know, we all kind of get unhinged every now and then. And now I, I think you probably <laughs> talked to him more recently than I have, so I need to catch up on with him. Uh, but uh, look, talk to him a few more times so you'll get to know, okay, he's a little bit more... <laughs> like, I mean, you're not really friends with the guy if you haven't had one of these moments with him. So, <laughs> But uh, I think that uh, it's just like... It's a lot of frustration, you know, because also something to keep in mind is when you're in this world, because like you said, you're not in this world, but like literally, um, and I, I'm not, I don't know these people either. Like I'm not like Johnny or Benji that I actually have met them. So I don't know as much, but the involvement that I felt in, because I've also talked to like, like I've talked to nannies that they hired, you know, like literally three of them. And, um, you know, I, I've talked to so many people and I feel like I'm really close like to the story, but, um, it there's just so much that there could be said and it almost feels suffocating right that you can't say because it's like or, or i i feel like that's how it must feel for them because for me I, i'm the observer I'm, I'm like the the commentator here you know i'm just the kind of the reporter i guess but like i imagine because there's just such a limited sphere of people that they can kind of communicate with that it's just kind of like a, a pent-up frustration you know it's when it feels bottled up inside so um I can't exactly say, but uh, I, I'll i catch up with the homie and make sure he's good. But I think he's Gucci. Don't worry. <laughs> we we did squash the beef uh, oh, because yeah. we did. We did. No, we did speak afterwards. And I think with him, he's become so involved and he really wants. For, for me, it doesn't seem like he's being malicious. For me, it seems like he's hell bent on kind of getting the truth out there and when we spoke about it, he was telling me, he sent me like an eight minute voice note, um, which obviously I can't share or play, but it was just like all of these things that he knows about Dianfurt, Ninja, Yulandi, the situation, things that have happened that just can't come out because it's not, you know, it's, 
it needs to be done in the right way. Um, and I, th I think he feels like he's this, the key to everything. Um, and without him, there's a lot of people that won't get justice. Well, and also, like, I, I think also the way he sees it is that it needs to be handled right because, you know, people will dilute the story or, or miss details and they just won't get it right because there, it, it is oftentimes people cover things and they don't care. But, hey, I, I think you do a great job. I mean, your interview with Tokyo is fantastic. And, I mean, if I give you my secondhand blessing, you know, you take over the story, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm a little behind. I got to get back to it, but you're, you're reigniting my flame, so I appreciate that. I'm not looking to get too involved, you know. I live I live very similar areas exactly. to them. You, you, you can go like, okay, I'm in America. It doesn't matter. I, you know, I'm in reaching distance. <laughs> yes, I know. And like I said, I've, I've literally talked to people that, that, you know, like Nanny, I can, I can get you the contact with a Nanny. Imagine, dude. <laughs> okay, for better or worse, I don't know. Oh my god, that'd be funny. I mean, what, what were the conversations like with the nannies? Because I obviously heard Toki's perspective, but what was the actual situation like at the house? So one in specific, like they kind of be started out as a friends and just kind of watch him, and it kind of be became a full time job without them expecting it, and they just kept asking for more and more. And like one of the bizarre things that I like, I literally have in in writing, like they shared some emails and. Um, I mean, I never covered this in a video, but they gave me consent to share if I ever did. So I could even show it to you. But the, Yolani's literally saying to the nanny, like, stop letting Toki smoke weed in the house. And I'm like, w why should that even be a thing that like you're writing? Right. And I mean, I don't know. I, I hate to say that it's a cultural difference to, to let like a, I think he was like 13 or 14 at the time. But like, that's not that's not acceptable. Right. Is that normal over there? <laughs> so this is another thing that really bothered me about the interview with Toki, right? So I don't know if I've shared this with you, but I'm a recovering drug addict and I started using drugs at a very young age. Um, the first time I went to rehab was in uh, grade nine. I was like 16 years old, 15 years old. Um, so it's been a part of my life the whole time. So that was like a big concern when I was interviewing Toki was the fact that he was allowed to use mushrooms and he was allowed to smoke weed. And I'm not saying that drugs are bad. Believe me, I've done much worse than that. I used to take mushrooms and watch Alice in Wonderland on a Friday night at my house by myself. You know what I mean? I, I've, done some, I've, done some, I've done some weird stuff. That's the least of the worries. But the way I saw it was he is a foster kid, okay? This is a foster kid that you have in your care, right? A foster kid that is also mentally unstable, partly because of your actions, right? He, he came to them. That was what drew him to them was the fact that he had issues. It was part of their look of their lifestyle. So you are supposed to take care of this kid, right? Um, and especially when it comes to mushrooms, not so much weed, but mushrooms. Um, if you are in a bad space in your life, and you're going through something like he was in a crazy environment. It's not a good environment. When you take mushrooms, it amplifies all those bad feelings inside of yourself. And if he was feeling depressed or lonely or like he missed his family, those feelings would go up 10 times more. He was feeling suicidal. He's talked about that before. That would feel 10 times worse. I've talked to people on mushrooms before and 
they were going through a dark period in their life and they felt like there was nothing to live for. Uh, I felt like that as well, you know, during my time going through that. Um, And that was more of my concern with that issue. I wasn't saying mushrooms, weed, bad. I was saying as foster parents, you should not be giving your foster child drugs. If they find it, deal with it appropriately, but don't encourage it. Right. Yeah, and you can tell that like it wasn't dealt with appropriately in the way that when Toki speaks about it, he doesn't even see it as like a big deal. Like he kind of dismisses like, "Oh no, I wasn't really doing drugs." So, yeah, and every now and then, I mean, I mean, I regularly like like he mentions weed and shrooms kind of regularly. Like it's just like a, no big deal. Yeah, and I mean, I can see from going there and doing the interview, and I I I was with him at his house for a little bit. I can see that it's spilled over. It's it's something that he does all the time, every day. Um, so if people think it didn't have an effect giving a young kid substances, <laughs> then I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm sure those people saying that wouldn't give their 13, 14, 15 year old kid substances, yeah. no matter if it was weed or, or mushrooms. Right. Um, but I mean, w- when it comes to the kids, why do you think they adopted them? I mean, like the big... <laughs> Like one of the big YouTube titles that I put, it was just a quote from a from an article um, from a website called Vakiki. And they just like, I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to take this quote that says that they adopted him as fashion accessories. Because it's like, you know, from the moment that they adopted Toki, w- within like less than a year later, they already had him on that music video. I think you're freaky, you know, and they did a lot of videos where they just like spotlight, like just randomly shows shots of people that are like, you know, like have teeth that look funny or faces like things that are unique characters right not to mention they literally wrote a a pilot or, or ninja did he wrote a tv pilot where toki was gonna be a little devil kid you know like they had plans for this and yeah it's just it's just strange it's like they want him to be part of like the lore right like of like the story of the Antwerp. like oh this these are the characters like uh Yolandi's my sister, but also my girlfriend. Like, there's all this weird. Also, yeah, I didn't even get to mention the weird incest. Like, all this, all this incest throughout, like their their lore. I guess I should say. Like, he always like, makes music and art about like incest. So strange. So strange. Yeah, I know. I saw that come up in a lot of his conversations with Johnny. Um, and I also, I also know. Uh, is it true? Him and Yolandi aren't related, hey? No, they're not related. But he he always says they're, they're brother and sister. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that video, I think it is Baby's on Fire. Like, they're, they're a family in the music video. And like, she's hooking up with a dude. And he gets like a jealous, envious big brother. And, you know, goes to try to kill the boyfriend. Interesting storyline. That is bizarre. I mean, but when it comes to, when it comes to the, the kids, right? How I see it is like, because I said in my podcast with Toki, I said, did you get any any royalties, right? And people were saying like, he was only in the videos for a few seconds. Why should he get royalties? It's not something you give someone that appears in a few seconds of a music video. But I think what they don't understand is that their appearances in their life, they adopted them not so they can use them in music videos, right? They could have done that without adopting them or fostering them. The way I see it is they were constantly being used for publicity and image, right? I mean, like you say, it's their lore. It's they, They've got these kids now 
and it's part of their look. So, I mean, besides for just the small appearances in the music videos, they were in so many posts on social media, which is like where a lot of their traction for their stuff comes from. You know, people don't necessarily subscribe to your music. I heard someone say the other day, as a musician, half of its personality, half of its music, right? If they didn't have a personality, their music wouldn't mean anything. And these kids were part of their personality to build them up. And uh, I mean, I was I was talking to someone earlier about it. I was saying like with Angelina Jolie, and I'm, I'm not accusing her of anything, but I'm just saying when she started adopting kids, she got so much publicity. And that's not, I'm not saying she did that for the publicity, but I kind of feel like they saw that kind of thing and was like, you know, maybe that would work. And let's go and find the most unique kids we can find. And they kind of got so much publicity from it and uh, content. Everybody's this expendable to them, literally, e- even Toki. I mean, I just can't imagine like, you know, like your adopted son speaking up and the way you respond is through a media outlet saying, ah, you're garbage. Because keep in mind, Ninja or Yulani never reached out to Toki after this. Like they, they didn't care. Like they don't actually have, I, I can't, I can't imagine like, you know, having like relative, like adopted or not, that's, that's like a relative, you know, like speak out against you and all, you can't even give him a phone call. Like what, How, what kind of garbage is that? Do you think that all of these controversies have impacted their career in a very negative way? I think it definitely has impacted them in ways that um, they would not like to admit because they are people that like to control the the narrative you know that's why they kept doing those responses and eventually they realized that it didn't work i think maybe the the bmg lawsuit was probably that the final straw that they realized oh okay wait this is this is really lame we just lost out on like a million dollars okay um i guess we'll release this ourselves um and they released their own music but like they're not really touring i mean they've done some shows but it's not like it's not what it used to be and you can tell, like, people don't just change their demeanor for no reason, right? So obviously it has affected them. And even the way they respond, they, they don't respond through social media anymore. So it's definitely affected them. And, I mean, you know, Tokyo said the same, that it affected them behind the scenes all the time, that it stressed them out. <laughs> so it actually did affect them, you think, emotionally as well. I mean, obviously, yeah. I feel like when your finances take a hit emotionally you probably take a hit as well (laughs) yeah yeah for sure but i always wondered with people like them if they actually really cared about what people had to say and took it on board or if they're so stuck in their way that they just see people as haters yeah i don't think they care i think they cares about how it affected them like financially and career-wise i don't think they actually care what people think that's for sure exactly um, well, I think I think that's about it, man. I think we've covered we've covered most of it. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been a great interview and very interesting. You know, I gotta reignite the flame. I because I got I got a lot more to say. This has been a good experience. Thank you. Amazing, and thank you all for watching. It's been an absolute pleasure. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wide Awake Podcast, and I'll see you all very soon. Cheers. Wide Awake.